Radio Lucha. Radio Lucha is a podcast project produced by the Raza Press and Media Association. The goal of Radio Lucha is to provide a space for the voices of independent grassroots struggles for self-determination on the question of prisons, migrante rights, mujeres, education, media, community, politics, y cultura. Cuvole Raza is a podcast show of Radio Lucha, a project of the Raza Press and Media Association. We are a show that focuses on interviews and discussions with those that are on the front lines of struggle for self-determination and liberation. We are broadcasting to you from the city of Chiques, Califas. Welcome to our August 2011 show. Today we're going to have a very, very special show discussing the actions and the resistance taking place at the checkpoints. And these checkpoints that we're talking about are the ones that local police are setting up all across the state under the pretext of looking for drivers under the influence. Well, we see that more and more they're becoming less about finding drunk drivers and more about getting folks without licenses. And so we're going to have a discussion with three guests that have been organizing against these checkpoints. But before we bring on our first guest, we kind of want to set the general parameters of the discussion. Uh, political uh, analysis, if you will, because the checkpoints aren't just happening in isolation. We believe that the checkpoints are part of an overall strategy of capturing and detaining migrantes, especially migrantes without papeles or documentation. Right now, as we know, there's a mass deportation strategy under the program called Endgame, where their goal is to deport 12 million undocumented workers. Now, how are they going to do that? Well, the, the checkpoints are one of the ways. And how are checkpoints resulting in deportations? Well, if somebody gets taken into the local county jail, there's a program that is more and more being used across the states called Secure Communities, where the info is shared, the person's detained, the, the media shows up, and within 48 hours, usually, you're in some type of detention center. Or if not, you're already in Tijuana or Juarez being deported. That's one way. Another way is, is states where they realize that they couldn't pass large anti-migrante legislation, like, for example, the 2006 H.R. 4437. They went state and local with a strategy, for example, like 287G. Many folks don't know what that is, and we'll briefly say that 287G is the federal government through Department of Homeland Security and ICE comes in and trains local sheriffs and local police to become ICE migra agents. In other words, they authorize them to ask, what is your citizenship status? So that's another way. And obviously then we have the larger scale mass uh, terrorizing of our communities through legislation like Arizona's SB 1070 that is now spreading to other states like Georgia. But with that in mind, we wanted to focus today's show on the strategy of the checkpoints as a way of harassing migrante communities, especially those that are undocumented. And to first start off our discussion, we're going to bring in our first guest, which is Ron Goches. Ron Goches is a member of Union del Barrio, organizing in the area of Los Angeles. Ron, welcome, brother. How are you doing? Doing good, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Right on, man. You know, um, can you give us a, a little bit of a quick intro before we get into our discussion today about the organizing work you all are doing around the checkpoints? Uh, give us just a, a little bit of, of the work you're doing there out of Los Angeles and, and you know, how people could uh, 
join in? Well, um, when the virus started doing these actions against these uh, checkpoints, maybe, I don't know, about at least four years ago, four or five years ago, and the idea was that the community had every right to defend themselves from these checkpoints, which we see as nothing more than the police legally robbing our communities. So we went out, just a couple of us, and, you know, tried to raise awareness and let people know that the checkpoints were happening and let people know that they didn't have to uh, fall victims to these checkpoints. So after that, um, we continued to do that for a while, and then a little over two years ago, almost three years now, uh, the Southern California Immigration Coalition formed, and, um, you know, we brought the idea to it, and then we started to continue to do these actions, and now with other organizations being part of the coalition, uh, these actions became a little bit larger. Um, you know, this is uh, these actions are now taking place all over uh, the Southern California area and hopefully beyond, um, because I think that people are now learning that these, these actions are not, uh, you know, they're not these things that are just happening in certain communities. They're happening all over the place because the authorities have seen that they're, this is a cash cow. They can make a lot of money off of these operations. So uh, we've been trying to spread the word uh, about the actions that we've been doing, and they've been pretty successful. Uh, a lot of people have, have seen what we do out there. People are really thankful when they happen. And now we see them happening all over the place without us having to start them. Uh, you know, people just kind of doing them on their, on their own, which is great because people are taking initiative to do that. So we think this is a movement that's growing, and um, it's really organic. It just happens in communities when people are tired of the police harassing them and stealing their vehicles. So they're taking action into their own hands and defending themselves. Right. What were some of the ways that that uh, you were able to get the word out about the actions you guys were doing? Like, how is it that that you got got the 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 information out there to people uh, to let them know that they can do it? What were some of the the ways that you did that? Well, initially when we first started, you know, I guess Facebook and MySpace and all those kind of things weren't huge yet, so it wasn't as easy as it is today to spread the word about an upcoming checkpoint. So what we started doing is we started just getting people from Unión del Barrio and organizing these small actions and then alerting the media. And the media would show up to some of these checkpoints and they would get coverage on, on live on television and then the people would know, oh, look, there's a checkpoint on these streets. Make sure not to, not to go by there. But now, in the last few years, that obviously, you know, with the social networking, it's really easy to get the word out to masses of people and, you know, it, it just becomes, it goes viral, as they say. And now a lot of people know of these checkpoints, not only so that they don't get caught in these checkpoints, but they also now know because of the different videos that we put up on YouTube or whatnot, that they can actually take action and, and defend themselves from the checkpoints. Excellent. Yeah, you know, it's become a, a, a really good tool, this uh, social media platforms. But also, I think it was uh, good that you guys did the uh, the press releases and things like that to get the, the mass media out there, right? Because I know... Some community members that that we're working with out here in uh, Chiques heard about the actions uh, years ago through watching it on on Noticiero 34 or what have you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's that's you know one way that we as people in the movement we have to be able to know how to um, use the media in a way that benefits the movement. A lot of the times we'll get negative publicity in mainstream media, but you know I think it's something that it affects a lot of people. And the media, mainstream media, all they really care about is ratings anyway. So if it's going to get some ratings, they'll do it. So we've done different, you know, press conferences where we, for example, we did one right before Christmas a couple years ago where we made it where we pretty much shamed the LAPD and the city of Los Angeles into coming out and saying that they weren't going to do checkpoints um, around that time because we said that, you know, the mayor and the police were like the Grinch that stole Christmas. You know, they're stealing people's vehicles around Christmas time when that's the only mode of transportation for so many people. So 
different tactics have been used to really we don't have the, the people power yet to force the city to do what we want, but we have been able to use other tactics shaming them, uh, you know, into having to take some actions that they necessarily wouldn't do uh, if it wasn't for our, our organizing efforts. So in that way, we feel that they have been successful um, with some of the changes that the city of Los Angeles at least has made, but we're definitely not done. And we're learning from other, other struggles happening in places like Oakland and San Francisco where they've been a bit, a bit more successful um, at stopping these checkpoints and, uh, and changing the policies that the police use um, at these checkpoints. Right, right. And, and the memo that the Los Angeles Police uh, Department put out, what, did, what was the, the, the statement that they put out? Like, in other words, what is it that they changed regarding the checkpoints? Yeah, well, after a, a media blitz that we had, it was a campaign to really go after the LAPD and Mayor Villarrosa about these checkpoints, um, the, the, the chief of police here in Los Angeles, uh, the chief of the LAPD, he came out, and pretty much the gist of it was that at these checkpoints, they were going to now change their policy. They weren't going to take everyone's car simply for not having a license, but now at these checkpoints, they were going to give, and I quote, a reasonable amount of time for people caught without a license, but who weren't drunk, of course, um, to call and the owner of the vehicle, and then have them come and pick up the vehicle so that it would not get towed. And then, you know, they'll have to face a 30-day impound and, you know, more than $1,000 and fines and all these crazy things. So that was a positive step. So now at least at these checkpoints, people know they can call someone to come get the vehicle. But what we want is not just at these checkpoints, but what we want is to make it the official city of Los Angeles policy that any time that a driver gets stopped simply for not having a license, that they would be given the chance to call someone else um, to, so that they can go pick up the vehicle. Um, we understand if they'll get a ticket, that's one thing. But taking the vehicle for 30 days to us is a severe punishment and is completely unnecessary. So that's, that's the policy that we're trying to be changed now. Yeah, and, and another thing is that as you're moving through this campaign, um, can you kind of discuss what, what, what has been some of the maybe counter-argument or reaction by by people that support, for example, the checkpoints? Like, what, what are the arguments and how do you respond to those? Or have you responded? Right. Well, it's, it's been interesting. I mean, you always have the same extreme right-wing, really racist, you know, semi-fascist folks out there who want to attack our community. And we know that we're going to face opposition from them. But what they usually say are things like, oh, well, you know, we have to get all the drunk drivers, get them off the streets. And we say, sure, we agree with that. We don't want drunk drivers on our streets as well. You know, we live in your these communities and we don't want drunk drivers. So we're not trying to protect drunk drivers. We're trying to protect the people who are simply working class people who are picking up their kids from work, from church, from school or whatnot, and are getting their cars taken away simply because of the laws of this country do not allow them to have a driver's license. So that's, that's, those are the folks that we're trying to protect. You know, and they say, oh, you're just helping um, drunk drivers. You say, no, in no way is it helping drunk drivers. If these people really are drunk, they probably won't even see us out of these actions anyway. They're going to be drunk and go in there and, uh, you know, get caught by the police at the checkpoint. Fine. We're not trying to defend the drunk drivers. That's one argument. The other argument kind of surprisingly came from uh, the organization known as MAD, or Mothers Against Drunk Driving. I think they simply were, they misunderstood our intent and they misunderstood uh, the actions that we were taking. I think they, they also felt that we would in some way protect uh, drunk drivers, or they thought that we were calling for an complete shutdown of all uh, checkpoints to catch drunk drivers. And that's not what we're saying. 
Um, you know, if they set up checkpoints to catch drunk drivers, that's one thing. Sure, get, get the drunk drivers off of our streets. But if someone drives through there who is not drunk in any way, shape, or form and isn't causing any problems, why should they lose their vehicles? So I think that once Mad uh, understood uh, our intent and that we weren't trying to in any way protect drunk drivers, they changed their stance and they said they were okay with it as long as the police still uh, was confiscating the vehicles of drunk drivers, which, again, we have no problem with. Interesting, interesting. And so so at these checkpoints, you know, kind of to, to uh, wrap that part of the discussion up, uh, at these checkpoints, uh, when you say that it's become a lucrative business, um, that, that the a cash cow, as you called it, what do you mean by that? Like, wh- how is it that that uh, there is a business uh, being built around these checkpoints. Can you explain that to our listeners, please? Oh, definitely. We know that in the year 2009, uh, La Opinion here in Los Angeles reported that uh, at least 40, over $40 million was generated in revenue from these checkpoints alone in the state of California. We don't have the numbers yet for 2010. I'm sure that was simply a matter of getting them. But I think, you know, like here in the city of, here in Southern California, the city of Bell, and all of that scandal that broke out with the, with the, you know, perverse corruption that was happening there, one of the ways that they were getting a lot of their money was through these same checkpoints, these uh, car impounds, which, you know, they were taking people's vehicles and patting them for 30 days, and if the people wanted to get their cars back after paying their traffic ticket, they had to pay, you know, near over $1,000 to get their car out of the lot. So, I mean, it, there's a lot of money, and a lot of different people are making money off of it. Here in Los Angeles, the Rampart, uh, got, they got busted as well. Um, they, it was found that the tow truck companies were actually paying the police officers a hundred dollars in cash for every car that they confiscated and took to their lot. So it was, a, it was like a mafia. It was a mafia operation where the tow truck companies were making a killing, the cops were making cash on the side. And of course the state was making money because of all the tickets and the impounds. And then if the people couldn't pay, they couldn't afford and nearly two thousand dollars to get their car back from the from the uh, the lot, the impound lot. Then the state of California just simply keeps the cars and ha- and sells them at their auctions. So it was a win-win-win situation for for the state. And all of this happened at the expense of, of working-class people in our communities. You know, when I was at UCLA as a student, I never saw these checkpoints near Westwood, uh, where I know there was tons of drunk drivers. Or you don't see them in, in communities where there's there are lots of parties going on, and you know people drive drunk. But you don't, you don't see these checkpoints in those communities. We see checkpoints in our communities, in South Central Los Angeles, in East Los Angeles, in areas where they know there's a high concentration of raza and there's a high concentration of people who are not allowed to have driver's licenses simply because of the current, you know, the broken immigration system here. So uh, it, there, it's a lot of money these people are making. And, uh, you know, here in Los Angeles, when we force them to change their, their policy at, the, at these checkpoints, we know that this is causing them to lose millions of dollars. And this is why the city of Los Angeles, even like on May 1st here, um, you know, wasn't exactly nice to our organizations to work on those campaigns. And it made it very difficult for us to be able to get a permit and all these kinds of things for the May 1st march. So there's a bit of retaliation going on, but uh, we're not backing down. Uh, you know, you don't have no fear of losing funding from any foundations or the Democratic Party or nothing like that. So we can do whatever we want, say whatever we want, denounce anyone who we want, and we're going to continue to do that until they stop stealing the cars, the vehicles of our peoples and our communities who simply um, are, are living everyday lives. And the great majority of the people who have lost their cars and have gotten tickets 
uh, at these checkpoints, even the police themselves admit that the great majority of these people are not drunk drivers. They're simply drivers who don't have licenses. So uh, it's, it's very clear this is a cash pal. And uh, for the city, for the state, our job as organizers is to unite the people um, to go out there and to fight for their rights. And we see that that is happening. Community folks do come out. They come out and support us. They have their own, you know, homemade signs that they've come out with. Uh, local, those small business owners, they come out, they support us. You know, they see that we're trying to do something that defends the people. And they see that the police really are just stealing from the people. So there's a lot of popular support for what we're doing, so we're going to keep it up. Excellent work, man. Um, all right, so can you uh, let our listeners know how they could get a hold of uh, the organizers there uh, in Los Angeles or just in general uh, in regards to Union del Barrio? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, they can always look up our, our website at uh, uniondelbarrio.org um, to check out a little bit more information about our, our organization. Uh, but they can also give us a call if they like at area code 323 602-3480. Um, and there, you know, we can chat. We can, you know, if people want to get involved and, you know, get, get to work, definitely give us a call so we can make it happen. Okay, right on, my brother. Well, you know, we thank you for your time. We know that we always have guests that, that are that are uh, busy all the time, you know, running from work to, to uh, organizing to a meeting. And so, so we do thank you for taking a little bit of your time to, to talk to our listeners. And, and uh, we hope to see you soon in the trincheras, as they say, out there in the struggle. Definitely. Keep up the, the great work up there in Oxnard, and uh, the struggle continues. All right. That was our first guest, Ron Goches, Union del Barrio. also want to wish Union del Barrio a happy 30th anniversary on their commemorative year of 30 years of struggle. But before we get into our next guest, we want to play a little bit of music, as we, you know we always do. And our first song for today is by Siwat Set out of Los Angeles, and the song is Fuego y la Rabia. Jamás apagará. Nunca nadie más. Nunca ya jamás. Podrán apagar este fuego la furia que lumbra por dentro. Que sigue, se sigue creciendo. Son naciente como la rabia digna de los pueblos rebeldes. Se sigue, se sigue creciendo, creciendo. Se sigue, se sigue creciendo, creciendo. Ni con la burla de suspiros que nos soplan como ráfagas del viento, ni la lluvia que nos lloran derrotándonos el sueño, ni el peso de las dudas que traiciona uno mismo su reflejo. Este es el momento. Ya levántate, despierta. No hay por qué seguirles a los ciegos y dormidos de rodillas entumidos con los golpes de la vida donde fácil se olvida que lo más precioso no tiene precio o marca tinta aunque se llenen tiendas con las filas de vendidos comprando de las almas más jodidas nos acabamos todos en la misma porquería mira cómo estamos con un hambre que nos tiene secuestrados con huesos destrozados hechos mil pedazos hijos de braceros con brazos amputados la gente desde más abajo aún seguimos fijo dando ojo al futuro y con el sometido en el pasado es el tejido más anciano la trenza de la araña de los viejos transmitiendo cada siglo en la sangre brotando como el tiempo cada niño vivo cada muerto tomándonos el alimento del sagrado fuego que como leche sale eruptando de los senos de la madre que como leche sale eruptando de los senos de la madre nunca nadie más nunca ya jamás podrán apagar este fuego la furia que lumbra por dentro que sigue que sigue 
que otro mundo nos espera sigue, sigue creciendo sigue, sigue creciendo somos la fuga, la fuerza los originales de estas tierras que no ves que otro mundo nos espera jamás se parará ha llegado el momento Right, that was see what set out of Los Angeles with Fuego y la Rabia. And now we're going to move on to our next guest, which is Julia Wallace. Julia Wallace is an organizer with the South Central Neighborhood Council. Julia, sister, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you for come, asking me to be on your show. Right on. Yeah, you know, uh, what we try to do is provide that space for grassroots organizers, you know, that are in the trenches of struggle and and we've been following the struggle you all have been doing there in the Los Angeles area. Can you talk to us a little bit about, uh, you know, the, you directly and uh, in being involved and how you're involved, in particular with the Neighborhood Council? Um, and then and then we'll ask a little bit about, about the Checkpoint Resistance after that. Great. So um, I'm a member of the South Central Neighborhood Council, elected board member. Um, we ran on the slate, uh, particularly pledging to protest and oppose the checkpoints. And I'm also a member of the Southern California Immigration Coalition, which is worked hand in glove with the South Central Neighborhood Council, the Central Neighborhood Council, and the MacArthur Park Neighborhood Council as well, to uh, really broaden this pro fight against the checkpoints on, on the level of the Neighborhood Council and on the level of direct action community organizing. Excellent. And so, so you know, you ran on the slate, you got onto the council, and now you're doing these actions. Um, why, why, why the direct actions, and and how successful have they been in your perspective? Well, the the they've been extremely successful in our ability to be able to actually modify or force the LAPD and the city to change their policy regarding the the checkpoints and regarding car confiscations. And so we've been extremely effective in not just opposing the checkpoints and that that movement's been growing but also showing how we can use the leverage that we've gotten from our political election um and at the same time be out in the community protest against the checkpoints as they're happening while they're happening let people know before they happen and been able to actually shut a few of them down just from community coming out, from other activists coming out, you know, from members of the SCIC and the Neighborhood Council coming out. And so that's really what we've been trying to do is, is use the, our abilities as being elected officials and elected representatives of the community. Oftentimes people who are elected in the community, you know, they don't really represent the community. They represent their own interests, financial or otherwise. But we were elected based on protesting against these checkpoints and opposing them, and we've been consistently doing that in the FCIC and in the Neighborhood Council. Right on. And, and so, okay, so you're at these checkpoints. Um, what is it exactly that you do at the checkpoint that, that, uh, that you're doing to, to warn the, the community about or inform the community about these checkpoints? Well, the, the smallest thing... You, we would do is, you know, you send out an email or something, let the community know people who you're linked up with. 
But actually being out there, you know, you, we have signs that say Reten or Policia or Checkpoint, Police, those kind of things. Um, I had a banner made that says Auto Los Retenes. Um, we have people who just who ride by in their cars or on their bikes and like, what's going on? And we tell them, you know, we're letting them know. Um, we're letting them know the police are up the street, that they're doing a checkpoint and that they could take your car. And that means a lot to people, particularly in L.A., where we have a lot of people who, are, who have to drive. And so, you know, people, the first thing they ask is, is that, is that illegal? Like, because they know, you know, when you do something that threatens the, the state, like the police don't like that. Um, but no, it's not illegal. But we, we're definitely intelligent about it. We, we, have, we go in groups. Um, so that, you know, when the police try to snap people up, we have cameras, but it's really actually a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to put forward the political aspect of it, of the police trying to take the state, really trying to make money off of taking people's cars. And they've made $40 million in revenue in 2009, according to La Pignon, um, newspaper, they've made all that money, but really it's a lot of fun to have community out, to have the people come out um, for us to be out there and to just letting people know. And people, they appreciate it. They honk their horns. They donate money. They give us flashlights so that we can stand outside. Somebody brought a mattress and they wrote, they brought an old mattress and they wrote it right on the front. So all people could see it from a block away, you know? So, so that's really part of that. That's really that aspect of it. Excellent. Um, so, so, okay. Ha- have the police while you're out there, um, you know, try to attempt it to stop you or harass you. Uh, has that happened? And if so, like, what what are you able to do uh, or inform others that are our listeners that want to do something like this to be looking out for? Oh yeah, you know, they're, 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 the police are going to be the police, you know, and so they they've tried to ask people if they're on parole or probation and, and scare them like that. But really, you know, you're in with you're within your rights to hold a sign on a corner. Um, we ask people, you know, the, the things that you would normally do, like maybe somebody might jaywalk or something, that you just be careful that you don't do that. Um, if you're concerned about the police harassing you because you're on parole or probation, that, you know, you just walk across the other street, don't don't really engage with them, and you have somebody who feels more comfortable standing on that corner to stand there, you know, and just don't engage with the police. That's the, that's the thing you really would – we don't do. Uh, so much of is we just go out there and, you know, we film it, the police try and, and come and, and give us problems, which they have. We film that. Um, we've had National Lawyers Guild people come out. Uh, you should always have a number for the National Lawyers Guild um, so that if they try and memorize it, you know, so if they try and come at you, you've got that number, you can call them while you're in jail. Um, you know, but, but really like that, Our main protection is community support. The police hate it when there's a bunch of people out and, you know, everybody's watching. There's got a bunch of witnesses. They don't want that. Um, When people have gotten harassed, in my experience, it's been when they've been alone. Right. um, Yeah, that happened happened out here towards the uh, north of uh, Los Angeles County. This gentleman uh, was protesting, but he was out there by himself, and they ended up taking him in. So that's another recommendation. Don't be by yourself, right? That's right. Don't don't do it. At least have I would say at least three people because then you have one person that's holding a sign, one person who can potentially film it, and you know you have another person there for backup too that can call other people and, and help you out. So I think 
three is the bare minimum that you want to have. Um, but a lot of times once you're out there on those checkpoints, people want to talk to you, just tell them to come out and stick around. You know, there was a, a bike ride that there was like a hundred bike riders off of Slauson and La Brea. I'm sorry, not Slauson, Coliseum and La Brea. And, you know, they, they rode through and then they blocked up the checkpoint with all their bikes, you know? So, you can, there's a lot of there's a lot of potential for solidarity for community building and, and politicizing and agitating people so right and and so uh how do you see the the uh the general tactic of checkpoint as part of like an overall uh terrorizing of migrante and worker communities um how how, how do you fit that in to the picture of of repression well it's one of those things that that can be and yeah we do protest against the checkpoints but they take people's cars away from from anything from a broken tail light to someone having a cross hanging down too low that we've had reports of that you know um this is part of an attack on migrante people on immigrant people and in general on working class people you know and on calcium and Brea, there are a lot of black people that live in that area as well as latino and they were out in the streets too holding up signs and bringing their kids out and because it's a general attack on on immigrant people it's like you can't get a driver's license so we're gonna take your car away and then you can't afford to get your car out of the impound and then we're gonna keep your car and sell it you know it's a shakedown it's a racket and it's part of the city's attempt to really balance the budget off working class people instead of going after the 19 billionaires um according to Forbes magazine that live in LA you know they don't want to touch them so they go after the most oppressed which is migrante immigrant people black people and they do that in particularly in LA that i think has the most checkpoints in California they particularly do it in LA because of people's need to have to drive from one place to another. So they, that your car is your lifeline. If you don't have your car, you can't get to work. And so it's, it's, a, it's a more subtle terror tactic of repression, and it's also a way to extract funds from the, the poorest and most oppressed people in the community. Right. And have you heard or do you see this also uh, perhaps being part of, of a way of, Uh, detaining folks who then are later, you know, screened, maybe in the county jail and then deported. Has that been reported down in the Los Angeles area at all? Um, I haven't heard of that specifically, have that case happening, but I wouldn't at, at all be surprised. The sheriffs aren't aren't beholden to Special Order 40, which they have. We have in LA, so um, people who don't have licenses aren't automatically deported, but. They, they they use the ability to, to deport people. They'll use it under any pretext. And so whether you get caught up in a checkpoint and then let's say, you know, your, your papers are in order, then they take your car. And then let's say you decide you don't want to show them your license or you don't have a license and you, you know, maintain your right to, to not have to show them any ID, then they take you in. And then... They, they try to find something else on you and people can get deported that way. So I, I really, I see this as being part of the general repression of immigrant people. The last large wave that we had, a, a huge, I would say, general strike of, of immigrant labor in 2006, that was a real threat to the system. Because if you have immigrant people who by and large aren't in unions and by and large aren't 
necessarily organized as a group and you have them organizing as a group and being defiant, well, then that could mobilize other people um, who aren't in that position. Uh, so, you know, that's a real threat. And so part of just taking people's cars away is just, it's really a terror tactic. It's an everyday terror tactic. We don't just come to your house, but now we can get you up on your way to driving your kids to school. Um, we got you up in a check checkpoint, you know, and then that can really like ruin your whole livelihood, you know? So, so that, that's how I see this as, as linked up to a, a general attack on migrante and immigrant people. And can you elaborate on, on the, the special order uh, 40 for our listeners, uh, just in case uh, they don't know what that oh, is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So special order 40, which was created, interestingly enough, by Daryl Gates, is that if you are arrested, let's say you're arrested on a DUI, um, the LAPD, this is specifically LAPD, not sheriff, um, but specifically LAPD uh, does, will not notify immigration authorities, or they're not supposed to notify immigration authorities. And so with secure communities, some people, I, I don't want to get too off topic, but, but with things like that, that's really an attempt to undermine things like Special Order 40. So um, a woman who was uh, attacked by her partner, who was undocumented, she called the police, and she was arrested and, and deported um, because she called the police to defend herself against her her partner who was uh, abusing her physically. Mm. And so that, that's, a, that's a whole other story, but it's all connected to the general attack on immigrant people throughout the whole country. And our, our view is that, you know, this is a winnable victory, that if we can unite the forces in Southern California and L.A., San Diego, Oxnard, um, Riverside, Oakland, all these different areas, if we can unite our forces against these checkpoints, this is not only a winnable victory for us, but it'll inspire the immigrant community and other working class people that, that we can win, that we're not powerless. We're not just victims to them. You know, they can't just take our stuff. They can't just take our cars. And we can win this victory. So that, that's one of the reasons why this is so important for us to continue to build on. Excellent. And so we want to thank you for, for coming on and, and uh, discussing a little bit about the actions you all are doing there in L.A., regarding the checkpoints and the abuse and the 30-day uh, impounds and things like that. But also, we wanted to uh, give our listeners a way to um, get in contact with with you or the coalition. What's the best way that they could check out the, the work you all are doing? Um, well, they can go to our website, uh, which is immigrationcoalition.org. And if you uh, look up the website, contact us. Uh, I can't remember the number, our number offhand. I'm sorry, bad organizer. Um, but, you know, you, please check out the website. Hit us up. Uh, we have a listserv, too, where we send out reports. Um, the Southern California Immigration Coalition is on Facebook. So we send out, you know, checkpoint alerts basically every week. Um, all around the LA area and we try to concentrate in LA in terms of protesting checkpoints, but it's very easy also to just get involved in that. Um, there's an Alto Baratenes um, Google group that you can, you, know, you can sign on to. And again, we send out information about that, but yeah, you know, just get involved every place. Let's say you hang out in one place and you live in another place. 
if you decide you want to pick one of those places, all you have to do is get a son of get a couple people to come out and have a ball with it. People will be thankful. Most people don't like the police. And so they'll be ha- just happy that there's somebody out there that's saying what they're thinking, which is we want to avoid these people. So, um, you know, I for sure just get involved and protest in your against the checkpoints look at your local law enforcement website because usually they have to post the checkpoints ahead of time even if they only post them a few hours ahead of time and look at that and it'll say checkpoint on this and that intersection grab a sign call some folks up and just post up Right on. Spread the resistance, as they say. So once again, we have uh, a compañera, Julia Wallace, of the South Central Neighborhood Council and the SCIC. And to check out some more of the work that they're doing, please visit immigrationcoalition.org or like them on Facebook, as they say. All right, compañera. <laughs> muchas gracias. All right. All right. That was Julia Wallace of the South Central Neighborhood Council holding it down. We're going to move on to our final guest, who is Elliot Gabriel. Elliot is an organizer with the Todo Poder al Pueblo Collective. Elliot, how you doing, my brother? I'm doing well. Thank you, Francisco. Good. Uh, well, thank you for coming on to our show. You know, we just had a couple of guests uh, from Los Angeles talking about the checkpoint resistance and uh, the campaign that they've launched. And we wanted to invite somebody here from Chiques uh, area, Ventura County, 805, uh, the Todo Poder al Pueblo Collective, and, and to talk a little bit about the campaign that has been initiated. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you all are doing regarding that? Well, in terms of the work that we're doing, we've been mischaracterized as a purely advocacy-oriented uh, organization, when in fact we'd like to uh, think of ourselves more as a, as a resistance-style organization that would like to uh, build organs of community self-defense among uh, the neighbors and among the uh, barrios of Chiques. And uh, towards that end, what we've done is we've tried to enable people to um, know their rights uh, through through uh, various means, through various uh, media platforms, such as um, traditional platforms, such as uh, the press, uh, or such as uh, uh, printed, uh, the printed word, um, through audio, uh, such as uh, what you guys are doing, um, through YouTube and through uh, Blogspot. And... Uh, one thing about our organization is that we're very uh, resourceful because we have different individuals with different talents ranging from film uh, editing to uh, filmography, uh, videography, um, uh, art, graphic design, and uh, legal backgrounds and uh, legal training. So because of that, we've been able to uh, pack a much heavier punch um, than our numbers would suggest. And uh, so that's basically it. Uh, we've been uh, going out through the community, uh, doing uh, Know Your Rights forums where we uh, field questions and conduct training among uh, undocumented communities. Within uh, Chiques, uh, we've uh, met with students and uh, been invited to classrooms to present on the work that we're doing. And um, this is all in response to the, the effects which the Homeland Security State have uh, in terms of the repressive um, actions and the, the the general apparatus of repression, which has been applied to uh, working class, uh, poor, and uh, uh, communities of color. So, in short, that's that's what we do. Excellent. Collective. Excellent. And and uh, recently, you uh, have initiated a, a campaign to expose and and an action oriented campaign 
to denounce the checkpoints. Um, can you talk a little bit about about the that campaign and uh, you know how the community responded here locally? Well, uh, these checkpoints, as you know, and as I'm sure the other uh, speakers, uh, comrades Julia and uh, Ron suggested, um, these checkpoints are depicted as, as DUI checkpoints. You know, the signs either say sobriety checkpoint ahead or sobriety and driver's license checkpoint ahead. Well, while originally these were introduced to combat drunk driving, um, and, uh, you know, they, there were some results in the beginning, um, you know, the drunk driving problem is not something that can be stopped through static, non-moving checkpoints. And we know that, and the people of our community know that. The people of Chiques know that. And they can see that this is clearly an attack, I mean, it's a dragnet that's meant to get uh, undocumented and poor uh, workers' cars, uh, and and to confiscate those cars, steal those cars, we we call it theft, and to hold them hostage. And actually, like people are forced to wait out 30 days before they can even pay a ransom. So their cars are being taken hostage. They're being forced to pay ransom, and uh, you know the people are wise to that. We're simply what we simply hope to do is enable the resistance to take place on a block by block level. We want people to be able to fearlessly go out and challenge these checkpoints, which are an attack, a blatant attack on their interests. Right, right. I mean, we've heard that uh, on top of the fees that are being charged for the 30-day impound, you know, uh, that that uh, unlicensed or undocumented uh, drivers have to go pay another fee, right, just to even get the vehicle out, uh, a permit, as yeah. they will, at the police department. And these fees can range from anywhere anywhere from uh, 1200 to uh, 4000 actually, I just learned. Altogether, I mean... When we take the, the tickets that are owed, when we take the paperwork that's needed to um, get these cars out of the 30-day impound, it can total nearly $4,000, which is really a, a, a massive amount for some of these families who live in the, the trailers, who live in, um, you know, uh, dense conditions in, in uh, granny flats and, you know, these uh, houses that uh, violate code. I mean, this can really cripple and set back families by months. Right, right. Like four thousand is is like you know uh, a large percentage of the yearly income, and and at a, a huge and percentage, a yes. huge percentage. And so uh, along with along with the direct actions, um, well, first of all, uh, you know what was the community response here? Like uh, uh, the day that you held the first action here. Well, it's kind of like the saying about uh, you know uh, we as a community resistance organization are like uh, fishes in water, the water being the community. So we didn't have any, uh, meet any kind of opposition from the community. In fact, their support was, um, was expressed in, in numerous ways, people driving by honking their horns, waving, saying thank you, we love you guys, et cetera, et cetera, asking how they can get involved. And this is typically the response, as I'm sure Julia and Ron noted, this is typically the response to these uh, actions because the people – they know they they can they know when when an attack is an attack even if it's couched in the language of law and order and uh, you, they got the mothers against drunk driving standing out there talking about how you know we're pro uh, drunk driving or something along those lines the people know better the people are wiser than that and so when we got there it, within five minutes within just about five minutes other families came out and uh, joined our action right on. And and uh, is there another aspect uh, uh, 
other than the direct action that that the Todo Poder al Pueblo Collective is going to be taking on to expose or change uh, this 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 abuse uh, uh, of the checkpoints? There is, and that's the that's the legislative route. What we'd like to see happen is we'd like to see the city of Oxnard, uh, the city council of the city of Oxnard, perhaps, um, or even the board of supervisors, take a stand uh, against against these checkpoints, against the militarization of our communities, because this really serves to benefit a. I mean, the cops that are standing there for hours and hours on end, collecting overtime pay. Um, it benefits uh, Nacho's Towing and Bob's Towing and these different tow truck companies. And you don't have to be undocumented to know that a tow truck company, that's a bottom-feeding parasitic entity. So the city needs to send a clear message that it stands with the people and not with the parasites, the tow truck companies which profit from human misery. So we'd like to see an end to the 30-day checkpoints. We'd like to see the city and the county uh, send a clear message indicating that. Right, right, right. Because that's the that's the that's one of the main issues. Is that, for example, from my understanding, is let's say you are caught driving under the influence and you're a licensed driver. Uh, the mm -hmm. next, the following day, you could go and pick up your vehicle, but but if you're unlicensed, uh, you have to at a mandatory uh, uh, status have to wait the the thirty day period. Is that true? Precisely. That's 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 completely accurate. And where's the justice in that? I could be driving down the street with a 40 ounce bottle of whatever vodka, even you know, and I get my car impounded. I can get it out the next day. All I need to do is pay the fees. I could get it out the next day. But if you're undocumented, you have to face a 30 day mandatory um, uh, impound. After which, then you can pay the pay the uh, the ransom and get your car back. Right. This is really just a shakedown. It's extortion. That's right. That's right. And then, and then at another level, as was mentioned earlier, it can lead. And I don't know if you've heard about it here in Chiques in the local Ventura County area, where where it leads to deportations. Is that is that also happening? That is also happening. While it's hard to find uh, data and numbers on that because of the the inherently secretive nature of the Homeland Security State. Um, that that is just uh, what uh, Secure Communities, a program um, adopted in the county of Ventura in uh, I believe 2009, 2010 or so. Um, that's exactly what uh, SCOM stipulates: is that if you are in holding, and uh, especially if you've been hit with uh, traffic violations, or you're you're just in the system, and you're in holding, because if you don't pay uh, your traffic tickets, a warrant for your arrest is issued, a bench warrant. And so if you're held uh, by the county or by local agencies who then transfer your custody to the county, then uh, you will be um, scanned against uh, ICE data uh, in their databases. I mean, they've automated the, the detention and removal process to such an extent that um, this is just one of those, this is one of those uh, side effects, one of those uh, definite um, uh, side effects of the, of the checkpoints. Right, right. Well, you know, we want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to uh, talk to us a little bit about, and our listeners, uh, about the general, uh, you know, resistance that, that's taking place here in Ventura County, and especially in the city of Chicas and the barrios. And we, we wanted to ask, so if folks want to get involved, la gente, la raza wants to fight back and join, 
What's the best way to get a hold of the Todo Poder al Pueblo Collective? Well, uh, it's funny that you ask that because in recent meetings we've been discussing uh, reconfiguring, I guess, some of our contact uh, uh, options. But um, one good way is to email us directly at uh, poder805 at riseup.net, poder805 at riseup.net. We do have a Facebook page. You can just search us and find us, uh, facebook.com forward slash Toro Poder al Pueblo, I believe. Um, and we have a totopodalpueblo.blogspot.com that uh, you can also find our information at. Um, we may be uh, setting up a totopodalpueblo.org website soon, and we also may be changing our phone number from the present one, which is 805-253-3242, to 805-3-Aviso-3-8053-Aviso-3. Excellent. Well, again, that's a good way. You know, you gave a lot of options for folks to get involved, and the, mm -hmm. now is the time to get involved. Now is the time to get organized and resist. So, again, thank you for all the, the hard work the, that you and the Colectivo is doing, and we hope to have you back uh, on the show uh, once you, once you uh, have a, a lot more information regarding the campaign that was just initiated. Precisely. What we need to do, what we need to do is seize the initiative from the hands of those who are trying to trying to mess with us, from those who are have organized this this uh, system wide uh, extortion racket. What we need to do is seize the initiative from their hands and stop being passive, and that takes everyone's input, everyone's participation, because it can't just be a small team like in the Seven Samurai uh, banding together to uh, uh, help defend the, the the village. No, it has to be. Everyone, everyone participating. We need the broadest participation from the community. And I thank you for having me on, Francisco. All right. That was Elliot Gabriel of the Todo Poder al Pueblo Collective. Before we leave you today with our final song, we want to do a short plug-in for our comrades and their colleagues over at Vanguard. And they have a new documentary that's coming out on Current TV. And if you haven't checked out Current TV, it's on current.com. The new film, their documentary, is called This Illegal American Life, and it's a story of two undocumented folks. One is a student who's studying at UCLA, and the other is a campesino who traveled all the way from Oaxaca to work here in Chiques, in the fields of uh, the territories of the Chumash peoples. And so we're going to play a short uh, trailer clip of that documentary. Check it out. From a small town in Oaxaca, Mexico. And from a kitchen table in East Los Angeles. Did you ever think you would have a daughter who would graduate from one of the top universities in the United States? From a flop house in a coastal farming town. Here in the living room, you can see that they just put up these curtains, and there's a whole family living just here in this space. To a strip mall in Phoenix, Arizona. If nothing else, it sends a message. These are snapshots of illegal immigration in America. Each one of those little squares is an attempt to cut through the fence. It's estimated that as many as 12 million people are living in the United States illegally. But this story is about just two. An American lit major named Ilse. My mother and I, we had to come in the, in the trunk of a car. And a strawberry picker named Philemon. 
¿Te gustaría tener tu, tu mujer y tus hijos aquí? Pienso, pero no se puede. They know that many do not want them here. This land is my land, but it is not your land. But for different reasons, they're staying. Their lives are a testament to both the power of the American dream and the absolute failure of America's immigration policies. All right, we want to thank you for checking out Kibula Raza, August 2011. We want to thank all our guests for today's show. And that was Ron Goches of Unión del Barrio, Julia Wallace of the South Central Neighborhood Council, and Elliot Gabriel of the Todo Poder al Pueblo Collective. And as always, we want to thank our producer, Louis Moreno of the Raza Press and Media Association. I am your host, Francisco El Chavo Romero. So the song we're leaving you with today is called Give Me Something to Believe in by Fabi Cambio and Andrea Blunt. Check it out. Give me something, give me someone, give me something to believe. Tell a massive verb, not a noun. It's a mission district kids playing gardens where they live. Not the slumlord raising rent, going to church, fighting them. God of me, a kid I know, love the birds and planting trees. Not the man who saw the birds, bought a cage and clipped the wings. Yeah, who working night a day for better living? Who the man who pray at night, but during days they build in prisons? It's what my son says, Dad, I love you randomly. I love you. Not I hate you for leaving the family. Why'd you leave? See that young artist on a page, Jewel Bridge. One side our memory, other side was Pine Ridge. It's a student telling a teacher, you don't speak Navajo. Teacher told a student, this America, not Mexico. Get it? What I believe makes me an outsider. Like a greaser fighting social leather jacket, freedom rider. Con escapar volando como la mariposa que cruza el continente no se equivoca porque le guía el sol la luna y la roca cuatro elementos dentro mí se chocan intentando aguantar no volverme loca no puedo respirar mi corazón explota necesito una señal mándame la hora escucha al creador y no me deja sola Cuida de mí y no me deja olvidar Que cambia lo profundo, cambia lo superficial Y nada en este mundo se puede quedar igual 
Todo cambia, yo también voy a cambiar. Después de la tormenta, el sol vuelve a brillar. Entre grieta en el cemento, la semilla nacerá. Cosecha regocijo, el que siembra lágrimas. Gracias a la vida. 